This is a Rooster Teeth production. In February 1978, a Michigan college student went missing during a solo cross-country ski trip. Over a year later, after being presumed dead, he reappeared without a single memory from the time that he went missing. Today, we tackle one of the most puzzling disappearances we've discussed as we look at the missing year of Stephen Kubaki. This is Red Web. It is your Mystery Monday here on Red Web, the show that discusses all the unsolved cases we can get our grubby little hands on. We've got true crime, cryptids, conspiracies, aliens. And today, a disappearance, a very interesting case, the one of Stephen Kubaki. I am your host, Trevor Collins, and joining me, as always, listening for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. I mean, your theory's got to be aliens, right? Uh, I the, don't think it is on one what? of these. I was blown away. How? We'll make sure we shove it in there. Uh, yeah. Theory number one, let's go ahead and earmark it. Boom. Aliens. Abducted. Right. It was experimented on for mm-hmm. what, a year, you said? A year. 14 and a half months to that be is, precise. Oh, man. That's just kind of like, now I'm thinking about it, that's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Well, well, well because like, it just kind of reminds me of a bigger fear. What's your is, biggest fear? Not a biggest fear, just a bigger fear. Okay. Going into, I mean, I, you know, you have your life now and everything like that. If you're going to go mm-hmm. into a coma for 20 years, wake up, how's life going to be different? Who left? Who stayed? Right. Or like, is it like the Walking Dead situation? And oh, everything's changed. You know? Oh, God. I was going to have uh, Christian... Go back to sleep. I was going to have Christian write down some notes on your fears so we can activate them at a later date. But I don't <laughs> think we're going to put you in a coma <laughs> for the lols. Depends right. on budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, coma yeah. time. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. See you in a year. Um, yeah. It, no, you're right, though. This missing time stuff, no matter if he was conscious or unconscious, right. however that year was spent... That's spooky. You don't get that time back. If you're, if you, I mean, if it was unconscious, unless it was something like a coma, then it'd have to be like a, like an induced like sleep, right? Yeah, or that's terrifying in itself. Yeah. Well, we'll get into all of it. Oh, my mind spinning. I mean, it's a very interesting one. The fact that he not only disappears but then reappears makes this even more interesting. Opens up the door yeah. to many more different theories. So. We're going to talk about the disappearance, all the details that we possibly have on that, including some of the slightly different details. Some of the things are hard to really dig into because he is adamant about not talking about it, which is totally fair. And then after that, we're going to talk about how the police and other investigators kind of pursued this case to uncover as many details as they could. But rest assured, oh, well, this is still super unsolved. Oh, so Wait, what did I, I blow mean, your brain? I, no, I mean, just because like... I mean, we've covered so many mysteries, uh-huh. and I, we have the person back. Yeah, we. I see what you're saying, right? Like we usually go. Give oh, me they're answers. I, right, like right. I know there's probably a lot of trauma and things, but there's just a whole bunch of layers. I'm just being greedy, but I. I mean, no, like, I get it. That's the instinct. You want to have those answers, or I'm just like, wow. But the, they I don't mean, have. Them. You know, we cover so many mysteries, and the the person, the mystery right. is just. Standing right there. Yeah. Rip Van Winkling his way across the decade. Or I guess a year. It's just a year. A decade of months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into it. This was late in February of 1978. You have 23-year-old Stephen Kubaki who went on a solo cross-country ski trip up there in Michigan. They started in the southeast area of Lake Michigan. In fact, we were unable to find the exact date of his departure, 
though we do have other dates yet to come thanks to the investigations. Kubaki was a senior at Hope College. It was a private college in Holland, Michigan, and it sits on the eastern edge of the lake. Kubaki was known to be an outdoorsman and a mountain climber, and he had skied in that area many times before, so this wasn't an uncommon journey for him to undertake, and it wasn't really a concern that he was doing it solo like it might be for a potential novice. Now, he was planning on only being gone for about a day or two, but he didn't return back to Hope College after his ski trip. Kubaki was reported missing near the town of Saugatuck on February 20th, 1978. So that's several days later after the journey that we know when that date is. We just don't know when he exactly yeah. started. I mean, was the protocol is 48 hours, then they could be a, uh, classified as a missing person? I think so. And it's like every hour that goes by after that, your uh, odds of the finding odds them drastically drop right which, that's just terrifying i mean i oh, get yeah like, I, i'm assuming the 48 hour like windows in place just because like i don't know people run away and they come back or like maybe they stayed somewhere or whatever their phone didn't charge and they i mean you could sleep over 24 hours depending yeah. on the circumstance yeah so the person could just be in bed but even. i mean if they're really actually missing mm -hmm. i mean yeah then yeah the percentage drops significantly absolutely Fun fact, actually, the whole waiting 48 hours, I decided to double check. Waiting 48 hours is a myth. It varies by state, but in most cases, you don't need to wait in order to report somebody's missing. Well, that's good to know. I what? think I just had... What? I don't want to be a movie and film podcast anymore. D Hold on a second. <laughs> Hold on. Everyone freeze. What's that called when you... when you, uh, uh, Telemetry. When you... <laughs> deja vu. Flabbergasted. Oh. I am flabbergasted. <laughs> Deja vu is happening right now. I feel like in the last two episodes, you said that, Christian, and then you responded something similar, Fredo. That never happened. You gave that information before. We have I dreamed this moment? Yes, you have. I'm so sorry to go we, way yeah, off the rails. No, no, but I swear. Yeah, I would not have forgotten that. I swear. Same, yeah. Well, I definitely would have. But you I swear, like, in a recent episode, we were going off the rails or whatever, and you said, actually, fun fact, I looked this up. You don't have to wait 48 hours. I feel like that happened. Nah. No. What? You would have records of that. <laughs> Because we as we were, yes, we, yes, we would. <laughs> the task force gonna have my back. Someone's gonna post a clip and be like, "He was, he was validated." <laughs> Man, that was so weird. Because as I was having deja vu to Christian, you were saying these other things, hitting me with more deja vu. So oh, I was weird. flabbergasted. Damn, I said telemetry and <laughs> flabbergasted. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've been here before. Weird. Man, okay, that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, that's all you see. I mean, granted, it's film and television. It's all fake. But it's all you see. 48 hours. 48 hours. Have they been missing for 48 hours? Well, what about the hours? 24? That was a show that took place in 24 hours. It's impossible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, you're true. True. All right. Okay. Deja vu aside, let's get back into it. So he's disappeared, reported missing on February 20th, 1978. Now, snowboarders reportedly saw an abandoned set of skis and gear on February 21st. This is where some of the sources have conflicting information. Some sources say that they found Kubaki's backpack with his skis, yet other sources say that they found the skis and then they found the backpack later on after subsequent searches, meaning that the backpack showed up later. Ooh. We will reapproach that in one of our theories, but otherwise it's a minor detail. Yeah, in my mind, I think that they went missing at the same time. Oh, the person in the backpack? Well, the skis and the backpack is all in, like, right. said action. It all depends on if it was intentionally taken off, or if they were left there on purpose. And we'll, we'll kind of mm. dive into some of those, like I said, in the theories. Now, while searching for Kubaki, police found 200 yards of footprints, or about 183 meters, near the skis that were then found to end abruptly at Lake Michigan, i.e. 
There was the skis found with or without the backpack nearby 200 yards of footprints going straight to the lake that then ended. They didn't backtrack. They didn't go anywhere else, i.e. this person might have gone walking on a frozen lake or what have you. So from this, the police then assumed that Kubaki fell through the ice and unfortunately drowned. Detectives were doubtful about this assumption, however, and had Kubaki's dental records sent to Chicago to see if they could have been one of John Wayne Gacy's unidentified victims. Now, we haven't really dove into or taken a dive into John Wayne Gacy himself, but we did refer to him in one of our Case Files episodes on our YouTube channel. Now, it's unclear why they did that, what prompted them to send the dental records over, but we do know that Gacy's killings lasted from 1967 up into his arrest in December of 1978. That's the same year that Kubaki went missing. Oh. Right. So I mean, I guess just to be safe. Exactly. It could have just been a precautionary measure taken to see, because I mean, he's in the Midwest. He's across the lake from Chicago, but he's near enough that they're like, well, listen, we might as well cover all of our bases. Yeah. If he's missing, he could be missing for many different reasons, including this one. So wait, do we know when they started the search and when they got to the lake? Because I mean, if they walked across the lake and maybe fell in, would it have frozen over that fast? I mean, Michigan's pretty cold though. It's a very good question. I mean, who's to say that's just some, that's like a deep dive into details, but that's just what my mind is thinking. Yeah. And I then, mean, and then footprints. Oh man. I'm just starting to think like if he was abducted or something like mm -hmm. that, I mean, that would be hard to cover You have to cover up the struggle. And, and then, then why would the skis and the gear be left behind? Yeah. So, so, so that way it lead into wherever you went or area that you're going. Mm -hmm. And then how do you cover up your set of footprints and the bodies that you're the body that you're dragging or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to think of different things right, and angles right. here. Yeah. No, I mean, this is the, this is definitely one of those cases that will make your mind wander. So as you're listening, you're going to want to fill in the gaps because there's so little information here. Mm -hmm. It's wild. But to reiterate how close this is to Chicago and perhaps why detectives wanted to include this in the John Wayne Gacy stuff, Hope College is about 151 miles or 243 kilometers from Chicago. Not out of the question to have a victim be that far out. But anyway, Kubaki was presumed dead. However it happened, they presumed that he had passed away, though it wasn't made official, right? We don't have a body, so we can't officially determine that he's passed. And because of that, he graduated from college in absentia with a degree in German studies. A small detail that I think we should pin for later. Now, we're gonna jump way forward in the future. 14 and a half months after he disappeared, on May 5th, 1979, Kubaki woke up in a field of grass in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. This was about 700 miles away from where he was last seen, or again, if you prefer, just over 1,100 kilometers waking up in Massachusetts. Okay, that's not... What? Oh. How are you feeling? Hit me with it. I don't know. I thought maybe like he would just walk into a restaurant mm -hmm. or a corner store or something or show up on campus. So I guess like he was in a field and I'm sure we'll get into it. Was he like, so I'm either he was found in the field in said field, or that's some of the small details that he gave us. I think those are some of the small details he gave. Interesting. Cause he spoke in the early days. If I'm not mistaken, Christian, he spoke in the early days, a little bit about it. And then after a certain point, because of the trauma of it all and, and just not knowing much about it, he just refused to continue talking about it, which is fair. But I do believe he, and I use air quotes, woke up as in he came to. 
this is the point in time that he is kind of back to normal mm -hmm. because up into this part, he doesn't know what happened during those 14 and a half months. He doesn't know how much time has even passed. He just knows suddenly he's in this field in Massachusetts and doesn't know how old he is, where he is. He doesn't know what the date is until he sees a newspaper in a town nearby that verifies the date. So he's basically cognitively back to, to normal, as it were. Yeah. I if could, you can call it that. I could not imagine. Dude, I, I will no way. Say, I will say, though, and this is just trying to put myself in, in the situation. I think it would be a major sigh of relief that it was only like a year. Oh, right. And Instead of like, like a decade or something? Right, yeah. Like how, do you, how do you go back to life after a decade? I don't know. With uh, with a lot of difficulty, even after 14 and a half months, with right. a lot of That's difficulty. That's a struggle on itself. Yeah. And, and to your point, very scary. Yeah. Very scary to lose one's mind in that sense. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he's waking up here in Massachusetts and serendipitously, and this could play into theories. This is just my own personal take, but serendipitously, he's not too far away from his aunt's house in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. So he decides to go there. It's about 21 miles away from Pittsfield where he woke up or came to, I should say. What are the chances? It, I know. Well, it makes me wonder if there wasn't some sort of awareness during this period of 14 and a half months right. that whether, led him to this area. Whether it's a, I don't know, I'm spiraling here. Sure, sure. Family inside job or uh, whether uh, he subconsciously got there or mm -hmm. if he was abducted. I guess they had information that led them there. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very mm. fascinating, but again, not a lot of details. Going back to the fear of losing a lot of time, mm -hmm. you're talking about how like, oh, maybe you lose like a decade or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I even think about? Not only do you lose the time, you lose that time off of your life. Oh, like no, your body exactly. is still aging. Oh, absolutely. So like if you're, it's you a know, compounded if fear of mine. For sure. If you're like, oh, I have 80 years. It's like, well, that 10 of those years are gone now. Oh, yeah. So he's now going to his aunt's house in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Now, once he arrived there, his family was notified of his return and they were then reunited in South Deerfield, Massachusetts. There's actually a very small newspaper clipping. I want to show you Fredo, but it says reunited. I'm going to read it verbatim because there is a small typo here, but reunited Stephen Kubaki left embraces his father after returning after returning since he was reported missing Feb 20 1978 an old black and white scan there you can see how happy they are to be reunited and it's just a uh, father and son hugging yeah yeah the wholesome little like picture I'm just I'm just with you trying to like <laughs> it's terrifying even be in that mindset just like <laughs> how terrifying. they might be feeling so Kubaki told police he didn't recognize the backpack that he was carrying, nor the clothes that he was wearing or the glasses that were inside the backpack. The backpack also contained a few other things such as $40 and then maps from various places. Some places include San Francisco, that's California, Reno, Nevada, Chicago, Illinois, the state of Utah, and then another Californian map of Sacramento. Then there were also some hitchhiking signs, as it were, basically a way to flag people down and kind of get around town. These maps suggested that he may have been traveling in those places for those 14 and a half months that he had disappeared. Now, when he woke up in Pittsfield, Kabaki was wearing a shirt from a marathon in Wisconsin. Once again, he didn't recognize what he was wearing, nor mm -hmm. his personal effects at that time. But those weren't his effects, though. Is that like, did like the father confirm like this isn't clothing that 
he has or we got for him or that's the thing we don't know these sound like very strong clues as to perhaps where he was yeah. why he was there was he at this marathon in wisconsin we'll get there we'll, we'll dive yeah. into those details in the investigation section but that's what causes so much more confusion because oh. he doesn't recognize them he's gone for long enough that these could have all been freshly purchased his family True. wouldn't know i mean i mean here's the thing though like you could stuff a bag full of maps Right. You know, that could just be a one big distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Now imagine he was actually just a different personality that whole time. Like he was so that's, conscious and going around and people got to know this guy as mm -hmm. like a, as Joey, you know? That's where my mind is going right now. It's because it's just, I don't know. It seems like if he was to have all this, then he just went on a traveling spree and hitchhiking and stuff like that. Or like I said, it's a very neatly put together story that someone put into a bag. One of the other things about the maps, because this was a question I had when when looking at it, was whether or not the maps that were found were like brand new, freshly bought maps, mm -hmm. or whether they were very clearly worn and used and had markings. Couldn't find that answer. So, yeah, a lot of details seem lost on this case. Yeah. Really it's, frustrating. It's one of those with not a lot of sources and not a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look. Look at Christian, okay? That could be fake. It could be. All right. You you dip it in some coffee water and <laughs> you burn the edges. Coffee water? That'll do it. Look, I could buy a, a map of Mordor right now. <laughs> Wait a minute. And it'll look like it's thousands of years old. Now, hold on Doesn't a second. mean it is. You're trying to tell me that my map <laughs> is it my authentic map that my I bought. authentic map on canvas is not properly aged, worn, and, and kind of lived through the, the millennia of Lord of the Rings? I'm telling you got got. <laughs> Etsy told me otherwise. <laughs> Drop it down to four stars. Four stars for not having gone to Middle Earth. No, I, I, uh, I started populating my wall in my office with a bunch of aged geek maps. That's dope. I've got Thorne's little map as well. Bunch of other stuff. Yeah, that's a cool wall. Anyway, they're all authentic and we're definitely in Middle Earth. Now, so he's he's got this marathon shirt on that he doesn't recognize, got all these maps. I would love to think, just because I'm desperate for this man to get answers on his own missing time as well as his family, but I'm like, to your point, where does it come from? Are these memories? Are these planted by somebody who did this? Were these purchases he made when he was in a different mindset? So of course he won't recognize it's it's hard to say man i mean uh, like just imagine someone popped up and was like yeah i'm in san francisco and here's a picture of me and josh mm -hmm. that's what he told me his name was and we right. were friends for a whole month and he went to continue traveling not to be too silly about it but do you think he like if he was a different person mm -hmm. and maybe had a different personality different name what have you right do you think there are reports of that person going missing when Steven comes oh, back? Oh, I mean, there totally would be. Like, wouldn't there? Like, well, depend, we... depending on like if he just kept drifting. Yeah, right. Then no, but because I mean, then he makes no real long-term acquaintances. No one. Yeah, to, no to connections or anything like that. Recognize that he's gone. Yeah. But, huh. But I mean, like, if he did plant his feet for a decent amount of time, yeah, yeah be reported like missing. Huh. That, that's that's wild in itself. Well, I'm also very thrown <laughs> well, that this person's missing. No, actually, that person was a missing person. Right. And that is now found. So the that's what person I said. That's, They're missing. No, right. no, no, no. But no, no, they no, were no, missing no. before. Exactly. <laughs> they were missing when you found them. Oh, that's, that's a crazy crossing of wires. <laughs> well, think about this, too. Chicago makes sense, right? We're, we're talking about the Great Lakes area. So mm -hmm. having Chicago in the in the bag isn't too bad. It's It's close. What gets me is having... Nevada, Utah, and California maps I mean, Cali. are all 
West Coast or like Westish areas. Yeah. He's coming too in Massachusetts. For those international task force listeners, it's the opposite side of the country. That's the East Coast. And there are no maps in that area. I'm just so this boy's traveling. So intrigued. Yeah. Man, okay. Let's let's dive back into the meat here. So as I mentioned, for decades even, he refused to speak about his disappearance with reporters. But in a later interview with the Benton Courier, he described that his body had felt as though he had gone running a lot. Basically, when he woke up, he felt that his body was different than it was when he last remembered. Oh, like in a sense of... Like his actually, stamina was better, I guess? Actually, you know what? Maybe, yeah, take a year off. If that means that, like, the other me just went ham at the gym for a whole year <laughs> and has to wake up. I mean, I mean uh-huh, okay, that's uh-huh. got to be jarring, though, right? Like, no, okay, this... I'm Sorry. Like imagine going, <laughs> just imagining going imagine going missing <laughs> just, flip it out. No 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 just imagine going missing for two years. Yeah. Not only do you not know come back jacked where, like where your life is, where the people are in your life or whatever, yeah, yeah. and how do you gotta rebuild that together and your work and all that kind of stuff, and then talking to like the the county or government or whatever and be like, I'm not actually dead or missing, I'm alive. But then also just being like, Why do I have fifteen pounds of muscle on me right, right. now? Or just jacked as hell. It's, I got Ripley washboard so ass. Yeah, I don't know. Just like, it'd be like going to sleep and waking up just jacked as hell. Like, yeah. It's gotta be jarring. To wake up feeling like you, and again, this is my inference, because he doesn't yeah. really go into detail right. on the record as to what exactly he felt, but he feels as though he had gone running a lot with no memory of it. Now I, I would start testing my stamina. I, would start I absolutely running would. And be like, I can't run two miles. Well, it would be like running a lab experiment on yourself to figure yeah, out your path. Exactly. Oh, this is a movie. Has this not been made? <laughs> Redwood Films, put it down, Christian. We're going to make another film here. I don't remember the other two that I had you write down, but... Um, we have audio evidence. The task force can, can come back. <laughs> that means you didn't write them <laughs> no, down. No, I was just about to say, I didn't see that man write anything. <laughs> but yeah, no, totally accurate. I, I would want to test my stamina, mm-hmm. um, test my, like, your muscle mass, test your, like, uh, body fat percentage, all of those yeah. things that would be obviously different if you're running for a year. But anyway, he claims the last thing he remembered was being cold and scared of getting lost, which are all things that would apply to his cross-country ski trip back where this all started. When he was asked about his health, Kubaki reasoned that his memory loss was likely the result of exhaustion and exposure. He agreed to get physical examination but would not visit a psychiatrist. Based on what we could find, it is unclear as to whether he actually visited a doctor at all. Kubaki, who now works as a psychologist, and his wife do not discuss his disappearance publicly, and his parents have since passed away, and so... Basically, what I'm trying to say is there's not a lot of detail to go off of any further, nor do I think that there will ever be any further detail on this, unless, for whatever reason, they decide to reopen their own case and decide to discuss anything that they might not have shared. I mean, look, obviously, there's every right to do that. Mm -hmm. We don't know what happened. Only he does. Or maybe he doesn't even know what happened. Mm -hmm. So that that is his alone to like keeping guard, etc., um, but just the flip side of that is like, man, the answer is like right there. Just imagine if like, I don't know, we had the first official, like it is real. There is, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's the Super Bowl. UFO comes in, swoops up Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, Drops mm-hmm. him back off. And we're just like, oh my God, like the world is different. The world has changed, Tom. Like you were abducted and it changed everything. What happened? He's like, mm, I'll never tell. Yeah. It's like, come on, give me something, man. 
But I mean, like, oh man, I just feel like, I like, I, I get it. Was there ever? Oh ever, yeah. Is there ever gonna be a good time? Because right, the, I, I totally so understand. Much that's like right there. Oh, it feels like it's right there. It yeah, feels like I mean, we like don't it, know yeah, it what could we don't know. Not be right. So I totally sympathize with him not wanting to talk about, it, especially if he doesn't know anything. He's like, listen, I get it. It's it's strange. It's odd. It's scary to me, but. I can't help you out and I can't keep being inundated with these questions as if I'm hiding it. Cause like, I don't know. I mean, let me just super clarify then. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. He, is he just like, I don't want to talk about it or is he like, I don't know. So therefore I don't want to talk That's about it. That's a very it. good question to delineate. I, Christian, I don't know if there's don't, anything yeah, in the record. From what we could find, it was more of what you're saying and that the I don't know turned into I don't want to talk about it. Mm. Just because it was, yeah, something that he couldn't find a lot of information on. Nobody else could really answer a lot of stuff on. Okay. And and the only way to move on is to move on. Exactly. In this case. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, totally understand that. But man, as always, it's just tough to like feel the answers just around the corner or some more details. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he's even more frustrated having well, it's just, it's been just in those shoes. It's rare that the mystery is living breathing healthy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that of mind sound mind you know what i mean yeah well with that said let's dive into how the investigation unfolded any other details that were uncovered in fact we're going to talk about a podcaster and crime reporter who dove into this to uncover their own details that helps elucidate us even further and then of course we're going to talk about some of the theories that might answer what went down here of course given the limited knowledge we have all right so as you can imagine, not much else is known about Kubaki's disappearance and reappearance, but the story has puzzled people for many years ever since, and people will continue to talk about and investigate to this day. Crime reporter and podcaster Ellen Killerin did some investigating on her own and uncovered many details, details that may have eluded us had she not looked into this case. Killerin reached out to Holland Police, this is the town that he left from, who had no records, as well as other Hope College students who had actually never even heard of this story, to try to get some information out, just to see what details could fall out and what could be connected. Yeah, poke around. I love it. So Killerin got access to the incident reports from Michigan State Police that confirmed the group of snowboarders who had found the abandoned gear and then contacted the authorities. So that part has been validated. It was found that the equipment was neatly placed as if Kubaki was intending to disappear. These are the added details that we have after she looked into this. The skis were placed side by side, I imagine laying down on the ground, but either way, intentionally side by side, the ski poles stuck upright on either side of those skis. And then you have a backpack that was sat on top of the skis, fully packed. So you think of that sight and it looks like someone who intentionally set their stuff down and then walked away. Again, it could be set up that way. Um, but also, if you just wanted to get away for a short amount of time, why set it up like that? That's a good question. See, I could I could easily see myself going set, set, pull, pull. I'll just put my backpack on the skis so it's not in the snow. So it's sitting on top of the snow. So it looks intentional, but it's more like I'm just going to put my gear here. I'm going to go down to the water line, throw a couple rocks as you do. And then, it, I mean, listen, I'm a young man. I gotta throw <laughs> yeah, some you rocks, the, yeah. you know? Let's see how it breaks the ice. Yeah, I mean, true. <laughs> Whoa, look at the splash. Now, now, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> we got a whole new department, the Task Force Rock Throwing Division. But I mean, that's the thing is that you see the footsteps going down to the ice. What happens after that is a big, big question mark, but I can see it, i.e. like, is it an intentional disappearance? Was this left behind with reason or 
was this just set aside? Somebody trying not to get their backpack wet, keeping their poles upright because they're they're easy to grab. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's well, the ceremonial. Thing, well, least. the thing is that kind of changes because I thought that I had in the back of my mind was before finding out that the skis and the backpack and the poles were like placed nicely. I was thinking to myself, okay, maybe he was in a situation where he was about to die or mm. going to die just because he was lost and cold, etc. And then that stress and and physical stress caused his mind to fracture. And then from there, you know, it went into self-preservation mm -hmm. mode and it actually prolonged itself more than necessary. Yeah. And that's just, that's the rabbit hole my mind was going no, down with that. That's a great rabbit hole. But, but I mean, if it was placed nicely, then I... Yeah, dude. I listen. You're you're scratching into something that I really love. I love that your gut instinct is always on point. That's part of a theory we're going to discuss. Oh. And I I do want to get back to the investigation, but I can't help but kind of give some of my thoughts on that too. Because like, mm -hmm. now that we're really kind of giving our thoughts on it again, this kind of a theory. But he sets his stuff down. We remember, and this is coming from Kubaki himself. He's saying, "Last I remember being cold and feeling like I was going to be lost. I didn't want to be lost." So now imagine he's out there skiing. He's like, I'm a little turned around. Let me put my gear down. Let me just hoof it over to the lake line and just see if I can get a lay of the land. Can I yeah. see Chicago across the way on a clear day? You can be lucky and see it. Can I see down left and right? Sometimes there's islands out there to mm -hmm. kind of give you your bearing. So maybe he walks down to the water line to see where he's at. Maybe he walks further out onto the water to see where he's at. And then the ice breaks, et cetera, et cetera. Again, we'll get into some of those details but okay. I'm just kind of building off what you're putting out there yeah. in, in like a personal theory. Anyway, woo, I like that. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. So coming back to, obviously, Ellen Killerin is able to validate that the snowboarders found the stuff. Of course, some reports have said that the backpack was found later. Apparently, the report, the incident report, validates that it was found with the snowboarders at that uh, ski site there. But either way. And then in early March, 1978, Kubaki's mother told state police. Now this is where things get a little confusing, so stop me if you need. Okay. So the mother told police that a family friend had been getting anonymous phone calls and a statement. Now, this anonymous person claimed that they had a way for them to get in contact with Kubaki. And then they gave that family friend another number, a different phone number where they could supposedly reach him. Now, in these reports, the caller, the anonymous caller, stays anonymous. We don't know who their name is or, or whatever. And then the names and the numbers that were given to the family friend have all been redacted in the incident report. So we can't really validate who got them, what the number was, and whatnot. So this is pretty much all we know. On top of all the secrecy and the anonymity, when they called this number that was given to them, the number had been disconnected. So this anonymous person calling up a friend, not the family, a friend, I know how to get involved with Kubaki. Call this number. It's a deadline. I mean, maybe a prank? Could be a prank. D you know, I mean, Could if it just prank. leads to a deadline. But this is where things get stranger. I wanted to hear your reaction before I kept going. Because, like, it is also a little windy. So not to be deterred. I love this part, by the way. Kubaki's mother looked back through her old phone bills and then found out that her son, her son, Stephen, who was missing had called her from that very same phone number, the one that the anonymous tipper was giving the family friend. He had called from that number in early September of 1977, so just a few months prior to going missing. 
who the hell well, i mean what's the area code is it a michigan area that's the thing is we don't know it's redacted in the oh, incident yeah. okay yeah. so to reiterate the number that is now dead that the family was given called and was a deadline that is a phone number that Stephen had actually called from. So this anonymous tipper is totally accurate. They just maybe don't know that the that the line is dead. Processing, Sorry. processing. Mm. No, like I said, it's a it's a windy one. What could that number be? Because they wouldn't know if it was a cell mm -hmm. or a number used. 70s, remember. So we don't really have oh, yeah, cell yeah, phones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they would know what landline. Yes. Oh, yeah. Police know this number for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. The fact that he called from it before. This is why the podcast is called Red Web. Because in my mind, mm. I've got a cork board with red string all over it. Because I don't know where to put this string. I'm just, that's what I'm saying is all of this kind of connects back to itself and then ends with, it's like, it's like the, the stereotypical image where they all point up to a question mark. They all just lead back. I'm like, there's something super big right here, but because it's redacted, because the phone line's dead, and because the person's anonymous, it just, ugh. We were so close to something and it's uh that's so weird maybe this was a close friend of his somebody that he crashed with sometimes like yeah i mean that's just that's just kind of where my mind like it's just kind of like okay that's those are like the you know more straightforward answers I'm trying to think like why would they give that number i don't know man yeah that that's a wild one the fact that like the like mom looked back and was like I've actually been called by this number before. Yeah, I'm so happy she looked back like that. That was smart. Like, my mind is blown. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, like, flabbergasted by that. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being a mom be like, I was called by this number before? Yeah. Uh. Now, she's sitting there. She's thinking back to September 1977. She remembers mm -hmm. this phone call. And when she's recounting it, she says she doesn't know where he was calling from at the time but she does know that the phone call lasted about 15 minutes. Police, of course, tracked the previous owner of the phone number down, but we don't have any more information than that because, like I said, the name of the owner, phone number itself was all redacted and then never appeared again in the incident report. I mean, I think nothing came from it then, right? I don't know. Maybe not. But it feels like a pretty big dead end, you know, a pretty important dead end, if nothing else. Like, I mean, it seems like the police did their investigating and nothing really turned up like from it at that point pretty much pretty much at this point the police then turned to hope college dean of students and asked him if he had any ideas about who could have been making the calls whoever the anonymous person was the dean said kubaki had a group of friends roughly 20 in size who were all quote weird and that could have been any of them oh so kubaki has a, a group of like I said, quote, weird friends. Well, that could be anything. Maybe you just didn't want to implicate yourself in the mystery, but if you knew he had a, a safe house or with a secret number and like you're a friend, oh, wow. Okay, maybe the like this friend group, one of the friends knew that sometimes Steve would disappear to this house over here or some other place. And he knew what the phone number was there. And since Steven was disappeared, he's like, no, 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 he doesn't disappear. He goes to this secret house of his. So call him there. You'll, you'll get him on the phone and your answers will be had. I'll I mean, stay anonymous not to implicate myself. Maybe that's how what's happening. How long after he, Steven went missing did this About a month. Through? Within a month sometime. Okay. Like I said, yeah, he was that's, reported that's missing. close enough for yeah. like a friend could have that kind of like mindset and be on that track. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. They, he might have just 
gone off to this place mm -hmm. and he's really like in a world of hurt or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's my mind desperately trying to connect dots. Again, that's yeah. my own personal conjecture. But again, we know that he had roughly 20 friends that all could have been this anonymous caller. Kubaki's brother actually hired a private investigator in Grand Rapids in order to try to find him. His brother told police that he thought Kubaki might have run away to Germany, where he supposedly had two girlfriends. His brother said that he would have flown Icelandic air out of Chicago if that were the case, but police found no record of Kubaki on any of the flights between Feb 17 and Feb 21 of 1978. That's true, there'd be records. There'd be records, but that's a very tight date window. You know, they, they only looked in that window because they presumed that he had passed away. Now, my question to, to Gracie and Christian was like, did they not think to maybe expand those dates to look even further? Because yes, maybe he disappeared in February, but what if he flew on like March 1st? I don't know. Either way, he still ended up back in Massachusetts yeah. when he came to. But that is the end of all the details we know as far as the the backstory to the disappearance, reappearance, as well as the investigations. With that, we've got the theories, which has some Damn. more details, but it's a very, very frustratingly compelling case. Man, I'd say it's like, is there any way to contact these possible girlfriends in Germany? Right. Did he, did he visit? Was he there? Yeah. Oh. This is Schrecken a... Sie Deutsch? <laughs> and then they'll be like, da? And then I'll be like, that's as much as I got. And that, and, yeah. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> That's as far as my German takes me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of reminds me of Staircase where uh, suddenly there was just a, a loose end in Germany. Mm. You remember that? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know about that case. Yeah, very interesting and like frustratingly compelling because it's so compelling because of the nature of it. The fact that he essentially Rip Van Winkled showed up later on having missing time, but also frustrating because all of the details are lost, just utterly lost. Oof. But hey, that is it. Let's dive into the theories. Okay. We're going to start with what might be the most common one, but you started to scratch at it. So that's where I want to start. Sweet. The first theory being that of a state of amnesia. Amnesia just being a lapse in memory, right? To put it lightly. So let's talk about that theory. Considering Kubaki had no memory from a period of 14 and a half months, it's possible that he entered a state of amnesia, albeit an extreme case, because amnesia doesn't normally last this long. So Killerin notes that the marathon t-shirt that he was wearing could point to amnesia as the, the cause for his lapse of time. In August of 1978, the annual Pavo Nurmi Marathon took place in Hurley, Wisconsin. Hurley is what roughly 550 miles or 885 kilometers from Hope College. So a good jump and a skip away, but a neighboring Doable. state. Yeah. Killerin points out that, quote, running itself demands only muscle memory, but Running a marathon requires some form of registration if you're going to get a t-shirt, end quote. Okay. So of course, let's go to the people running the marathon and see if we got this name. So in an effort to do just that, to verify a potential registration, she reached out to the marathon organizer to get a list of all of the runners from those years. Kubaki's name was not on the list, but if he were experiencing amnesia, he would not have potentially remembered his name. The thing is too, it's like, what do they do to actually verify? I don't think there's a verification process, right? You could probably go in there with a name mm -hmm. and, an, and an address. Depends on how formal it is. But yeah, in the 70s, and you could have walked up and just said, you know, I'm John Doe. Right. I'd like to run. Name, address, and boom. Go, and they go, here's your number. Yeah. 
address your chest and looks your around right. that one. Yeah. Library, I'm, sir? I'm sure they're not just like in your ID. Right. Please. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is if you really want to chase it down, it's easier said than done. You investigate every name on the list until you find people that don't exist. Oh, damn. I mean, true. Got, <laughs> yeah. That's, that'd be exhausting. That or you just get a bunch of blimps with this guy's face on it and say, do you know this man? Right. So talking about amnesia, like I mentioned, mild cases of, of amnesia normally occur suddenly and last for maybe minutes, sometimes hours, and more extreme cases, days. But in rare cases, it is possible. Sometimes it can be triggered by head trauma or other things. Amnesia can, in fact, last for months or years. Amnesia can also be triggered, get this, by cold water immersion. So if Kubaki did fall into the lake, there's a chance that he caused some form of memory loss by doing so. Maybe he didn't drown. He instead, of course, got out in some way. In some capacity, he wound up somewhere else without his memory. The luck and the, the, the story and adventure that that man's body went on. Oh that, my gosh. I, can't, I could not imagine. But man, okay. Yeah. yeah. My question is then... I, I thought there'd be some type of scientific reason why it could happen. Yeah, yeah. So you see the footsteps going out to the lake in one direction. My curiosity now is, did he wash up on shore? Did he pass out? Was he near drowned? Was somebody there to rescue him? That's another mm -hmm. thing that you might need to look at if you're trying to close the loops on this case. But obviously those are just my instincts, right? But Well, I mean, if someone was there to rescue them and they weren't devious, mm -hmm. then you just take them to the police station. Right. Or yeah, you, that's a good question. You know what I mean? Or not question. Good point. Yeah. Like, here you go. I found this guy washed up. He doesn't really know, like, who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Now, what's even more interesting about this particular theory is that temperature-induced amnesia was actually Kubaki's own theory, according to the aforementioned Benton Courier article from 1979. This is one of the few places that he actually allowed interviews with and discussed this case openly. Oh. It actually says this, quote, the only thing I can think of is what mountain climbers suffer from, loss of body heat and exhaustion. That combination can result in a temporary loss of memory. I have some really vague feelings. I have some running shoes. I feel like I've done a lot of running, end quote. And so there's another piece of it too. Maybe not just his body feeling like it's running, but he also has evidence with running shoes. And man, nowadays everything's filmed. People got phones everywhere. There's yeah. CCTV cameras. I really want to scrub if there were any videos for those shoes, right? To see if you can find him. Where would you even start though? Well, in the 70s, you're out of luck. Right. Well, I mean, if it was today. Use an AI to recognize sure. shoes of a certain color pattern and faces and then just run it across the marathon for a few years. That sounds like an expensive resource. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So this was his own theory. He's a mountain climber, also, also a skier, like I had mentioned at the top. And so he knows of this as a condition. So he's kind of thinking about it and goes, put two and two together. I was definitely cold. I was definitely feeling lost. And, um, and now I'm here. Another thing, though, that can lead to it is stress and traumatic experiences. It's possible that as a senior about to graduate, Kubaki was under a lot of pressure and uh, perhaps encountered trouble during his ski trip. I mean, they're not mutually exclusive, but who knows what right. went down on that trip. Ongoing stress compiled with this newfound stress. Yes. And I mean, we know he was afraid of being lost. And so imagine now you're in the Michigan wilderness in the dead of winter, snow mm -hmm. coming down around you. You're out and alone and lost. That's pretty stressful. Yeah. I mean, with this interview, it does 
definitely lean my mind into thinking more so of like he doesn't quite know what happened as opposed to hey i i know what happened mm-hmm. it's traumatic i don't want to talk about it or just i know what happened i don't want to talk about it right it very much like this really shoves it into the direction of like i have no idea please stop asking me. right i'm i've i felt like that's yeah definitely what's going on yeah because like no one wants the answers more than him i imagine true so as with every theory we like to discuss maybe some of the wrinkles therein so while amnesia is definitely a possibility it still doesn't explain a few things like the backpack and the unidentified belongings. Although it could, if Kubaki had amnesia that enabled him to actually enter the marathon, he could have somehow picked up clothes in a backpack along the way and entered with a different name. Again, this kind of goes to the idea of like, yes, he has amnesia, but he's also in this state where perhaps he's just of a different mindset, different personality perhaps, or he's still Steven, but he's just not tucking this away into memory, like 51st state style. Oh, it's still the person, You're right? But he's just not he's, putting yeah. it to memory. Yeah, that. Nothing, ooh. Oh, nothing sticking. Yeah. yeah. Imagine being like waking up every day, knowing that you're every day you're going. Wait, where am I? Right. Oh, things have changed. Man, Kubaki. Uh, okay. So, when experiencing hypothermia, some people experience paradoxical undressing. So this tries to answer why he had different clothes on, if he were going through some paradoxical undressing because he was counterintuitively feeling extremely hot, takes off his clothes, and then when he was found or rescued or in some way came to, came back out of the lake, came back out of the wilderness, he just needed clothes of any kind. Maybe went to a thrift store where he picked up a marathon shirt that just happened to be from a marathon he never went to. And stuck with it for a year? Could be. Could just be that he picked up glasses, shoes, shirt, whatever, and that those things are... That just attempt to answer some of the wrinkles. Yeah. Yeah. It's also worth saying that we don't know, you know, we don't know if the clothes he was wearing at the time he woke up, you know, were the same clothes he'd been wearing for a year. Like, right. we don't know, maybe he had a whole wardrobe full of new outfits. We, we just don't really mm-hmm. know what the condition of the clothes were, how new the clothes were, anything like that. Or, I mean, unless he was drifting, unless, like, where he called home. Like, mm-hmm. we just don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... Although it is very likely that amnesia is at least a part of this story, we don't have even like a medical diagnosis. There's no hard medical record to prove this. And so... Right. Because he did say, I would, I want to, and I will see a a medical professional, Mm -hmm. but there's no evidence that he did. Right. So it is worth mentioning that we're missing that concrete evidence that we always like to talk about. But... I mean, whether or not he wanted to make that information public, I personally would think that... You know, I mean, I would want to yeah, go. Yeah, HIPAA. Where the, where the hell? Or even just like for my own sake, like where the heck has my body been? Yeah. What is there? Is That's there a weird way different? to phrase it, but you're right. Where's my where's, body been? Where's my body been? Is there anything I need to know about my body now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do some blood tests, try <laughs> yeah. to figure it all out. Do all the tests. Yeah. Anything can develop in 14 months, even in your early to mid-20s. All right, let's move on to the next theory. We're just going to give you the name of this one, see if you can weasel it out. The Michigan Triangle. This is like the Bermuda Triangle. Just, just you know, you kind of just go in and weird bingo. stuff happens. Michigan has a triangle. Oh, bingo. Why is it always a triangle? There's triangles all over the world, baby. The what? simplest shape. <laughs> it's also the shape of a scheme. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a scheme. Uh, it's a, no, it's a reverse funnel system. Okay? It works. It works. Okay? I'm just getting in late. Let's talk about the Michigan Triangle because, and you're right on the money, 
There are all sorts of triangles which are the center for things like disappearances, paranormal activity, ghosts, UFO sightings, shipwrecks, air disasters, to say a few. Uh, and there are a lot of hot spots around the world. Now, the Michigan Triangle, very uh, much like the Bermuda Triangle, is a spot up in Michigan between a few different cities. It's said to cover Lake Michigan primarily, but it stretches between these three cities. Benton Harbor, Michigan, Ludington, Michigan, and then across the lake to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I'll give you a little map of that for you, Fredo, just so you can get an idea of what we're talking about, but it's mostly over the water. Look at that triangle. Sinister, isn't it? Yeah. Reminds me of fifth grade geometry. It's another triangle over some wetness. Yep. Hmm. So this is a hot spot, like I said, for things like disappearances, air disasters, shipwrecks, UFO sightings. A lot of things have actually happened. All of that? Yeah, all of those happening in these areas. And so a lot of people want to attribute uh, his disappearance to being in this area. So he was within that triangle? Absolutely, yeah. We don't know exactly where his ski trip started, but his college and where he kind of, it was around Benton Harbor. Not too oh, far away from that. So kind of like the southwest. Right at the bottom coast. tip. Mm-hmm. Near of uh, the triangle. Yeah. In 2007, archaeologists Mark Hawley and Brian Abbott, they used sonar in order to search for wreckage on the bottom of Lake Michigan. But when searching the bottom, they didn't find the ships that they were looking for. Instead, they found a string of stones that appeared to resemble Stonehenge. The first documented disappearance in the Michigan Triangle occurred in 1679 when... Lay Griffin, a trade ship, was never seen again. I'm just giving you a few examples of what's happened in the, oh, yeah, in the Michigan yeah. Triangle. In June 23rd of 1950, Northwest Airlines Flight 2501, it was a passenger plane carrying 55 people from New York to Minnesota. It encountered turbulence and then disappeared from the radar after requesting to descend. Investigators in searching for this plane found a bit of the debris of the plane, but the entire wreckage was never found, so the cause for the crash wasn't able to be determined. How? Good question. That's, I mean, maybe it's it the triangle, the baby. So, wait, do airplanes avoid the triangle nowadays? I doubt it. They just go, that's just a myth. Yeah. Yeah. I probably. Would I would think so. I mean, yeah, I, there are definitely hot spots for disappearances, but I think yeah. if you really wanted to get cynical or pragmatic, you can look at a lot of these hot spots. And recognize the cross traffic is pretty heavy. These are not only hot spots for wrecks, but hot spots for travel. For travel, and right? So, so obviously, the, the yes. If you were to just give a blanket statement, mm -hmm. like 1% of every plane crashes, which is not true. It's just a made up number to, to convey a point. And suddenly 100 planes travel through this state, but only 10 planes travel through this state. Right. You're going to start going, well, that state's cursed. You're going to go, that's a triangle. That state's a triangle. Wait, <laughs> yeah. why don't we have any triangle states? Hmm? We oh. need to fix that. <laughs> Let's split Indiana into Northwest Indiana and Southeast Indiana so we can have two nice little triangles. I say that so I can live on a state line. Split Indianapolis right in twain. Sorry, Indiana. I, you know, you're my punching bag, but I love you. Um, yeah, so, so those are just a few examples of what has gone down historically in this area. But bringing this back into a relevant, although sad realm, there have been students from Kubaki's alma mater, actually, found a connection to the Michigan Triangle to his disappearance. And they found that connection, or at least theorized that connection, due to a recent disappearance that happened 
in 2020, there was a similar circumstance that happened with a different student. Well, we won't go into all of that, but suffice to say, it just highlights the fact that people are still investigating, still coming up with theories to this day. And that is really where the idea of the Michigan Triangle came to play well, in these did, theories. Did they go missing? Just another student from Hope College disappeared oh. under strange circumstances well, back in 2020. Found again. Not to my knowledge, okay, okay. But, it, but also yeah, yeah. a different case. Yeah, no, for sure. Another thing that's very interesting here, and it does play nicely with the Michigan Triangle, is that a lot of people have connected Hubaki's disappearance and the Triangle to the idea of missing 411. We did an entire episode on this, but very, very simply, and I highly recommend you check it out because it's not only fascinating, but deeply unsettling. If you love national parks here in the United States, like I do, it'll make you kind of think about things. But yes, it will. Yeah, let's summarize it though, so you don't have to click off. Missing 411 is a collection of strange disappearances in national parks that seem to be of inexplicable circumstances and possibly have paranormal origins. People that end up turning a corner five feet in front of their loved ones, yeah, was, and when their loved ones catch up, they're gone. Yeah, that was the one where um, someone was like trailing um, a person that they were with, and then they went right up. Yep. The person in front of them went up over the hill. Mm -hmm. They did very shortly after. They crested after, the hill after. And they were like, what? They're gone. Gone. Oh, There was a, a young boy who was outside um, the, the family's camper or RV. Oh, yeah. And they were looking outside. They see him playing. They look away, come back, gone. just fully gone. And they were just by themselves out there, too. So there's a lot of cases like that. Another yeah. reason go why not to touch grass, people. Don't right. go outside. Stay inside. Lock your doors. Lock it's your windows. It's not the north or the south side. No, it's not. It is the inside. You are correct. That's an old meme. I'll move on. <laughs> it's an old meme, but it still checks out. I kept it Star Wars. Okay. Now, now we have the idea of missing 411, which, again, disappearances in national parks with potentially paranormal origins. You have the hot spot that is Michigan Triangle. And so if you are inclined to believe in the paranormal, there's a lot of reason for Stephen Kubaki to go disappearing in this area. Some believe, too, that areas like the Great Lakes and other national parks could be home to paranormal activity at large. One of the theories we talked about in 411 is that there are things that the government knows about that hunt or live in national parks, and that's why they are national parks, so you don't have houses near these entities. But again, that's just a, a theory. But if you subscribe to it, yeah. then yeah, maybe don't go trouncing around by yourself I remember us talking about that because I was like, how do they keep it contained? Mm -hmm. Like if it's its own feral creature, yeah. containing it. But it's also worth mentioning, as we do with every theory, those wrinkles. According to some of the retellings of Kubaki's disappearance, the backpack was not found on his skis, but rather was found in the same area during a later search. So... This is one of those wrinkles that the accident it. report, or excuse me, the incident report does clarify that the backpack was found by the snowboarders with the skis, but other tellings say otherwise, right? Yeah. And some point to this as evidence that something otherworldly must have occurred, though we don't know the condition that the backpack was supposedly found in. We also don't know if the backpack showed up in a site that was already explored, i.e. like I was here yesterday oh, and there was no backpack, but right. now it's here. Yeah. That does imply that some other, at least third party, is in play. Yeah. But again, I tend to point to the incident report, which does say that they were found again. I don't know. And just to kind of round out this theory, it is worth mentioning that many people claim that areas like this are full of portals or potential glitches in the Matrix, which could explain why the backpack appeared at a later date. I mean, we did talk in a, like, a, there was a paranormal 
episode, right? The house. There was well, yes. one of the houses. Black where, Forest of like, Colorado, right? Right. Where there was like some places are just, you just have these portals and voids where these things happen. I mean, we talked a little bit about ley lines, you know, oh, yeah. um, and some people think that at these high intersection areas of all these ley lines that something like with the space-time fabric is happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm ruining the explanation. I don't know enough about it to speak to it, but but yeah, some people believe that these portals are essentially geometry in the space-time fabric and that there just happens to be hotspots for them sometimes. Yeah. Moving on now to the next theory. Did Stephen Kubaki run away and start a new life? A theory that ran rampant among the Hope students was that Kubaki did in fact do just that, that he organized his entire disappearance and intentionally ran off. He could have been running away from his significant other, escaping a dark secret, seeking new beginnings, or just wanting to make headlines for attention. The motive goes on and on, but again, that's what happens with these theories, conjecture. The various guides to different cities across the country suggest that he may have traveled to those places. It's also worth mentioning that Kubaki's self-written biography on his website, website, 1970s, this man's got a website, time traveler. Hmm. Is this uh, a later date kind of thing? So, yeah, he's got a website now. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'm just poking. Um, okay, but he, okay. How so much later was the website? Hmm. That's a good question. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, because, if you can find that, that'd be cool. But yeah. basically on this biography, on his website, he describes himself as rebellious during college. And so people use that to validate this theory that maybe he was, in fact, just being rebellious and running off. I mean, if it was for attention to what point, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You didn't have to wait around for a whole year for that to happen. Um, also, I guess I'm asking about the website timeline because if it was like, 15 years later, you know, 10 years later, boot up a website and like this is my autobiography. And that kind of like chips away at the doing it for attention mm. and like money or fame or whatever it could be. Because well, also like the fact that he didn't interview and, and, and that's true point, too. He, like a website's like, free. Why would you not go and interview and talk to everyone and write keep, a book? You keep it going. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think that motive is definitely heavily under scrutiny, in my opinion. I think that's yeah. definitely... Or if anything, it would, I, I think you, you scrape off the doing it for attention and more so just to get away. Yeah. You know? I mean, hold my arms here, but hey, you know, if I disappeared knowingly, I wouldn't graduate. If I disappeared like Kubaki did, he graduated essentially post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And, but then... I'm just being really silly. Basically, like, was this a whole ploy that he could graduate without finishing out his <laughs> his semester? That would be wild. That's the only motive I can think as a student. Right. Uh, I that, just travel for a year and then I'll come right. up as missing and they'll you're graduate in, me. You're in geometry class talking about triangles. I'm in Utah with my maps. Right. I mean, hey. Look. I'm just connecting some some dots while being silly along the way. Is, is it is it got a thick red string going to it? No. But it's on the board with it, a little it's tiny like a, string. It's like a thread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's keep going on this one because I find it interesting. Police interviewed Kubaki's roommate who told them nothing seemed out of the ordinary when Kubaki told him that he was going to go on this ski trip for a few days. Since he did that often, that itself didn't seem too out of the ordinary. His roommate did not think the disappearance was orchestrated because he claims Kubaki would have let him know about the secret or would have at least let him in on some of his thinking. You find any word, Christian, on that website? I did. It looks like stephenkubaki.com, which is his website, was registered on December of 2014. 
oh. and is still alive to this day. And yeah, his bio uh, is not referring to his time at Hope College, but his time at uh, his previous schooling. It says, quote, where he would spend many hours in its college-like library cutting classes and rebelling. Hmm. So his self-written bio does speak on some sort of rebellious nature he had in school. Interesting. Uh, like, that's... Like, what? Tw- he's so rebellious, he's hanging in the library. years later that the site... 36. Bo- 36? Um, if I'm doing quick 70, math right. was it 78? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it is 36. Wow. Took me a while to get comfortable with the internet, too. I don't have a website. Right, but, I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not for fame and attention. Right, right. I'm no, gonna, you're right. You're totally I'm gonna go missing right. and then I'll then I'll strike 36 years later. Right, with a with a freely accessible website and and story. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's nothing malicious on this website, but it is the internet. So if you're gonna go to it, yeah. proceed with caution. Watch what you click. All that good stuff. Okay. Another student who saw Kubaki the night before he went skiing said that he was raving about his weekend on the slopes. He was so excited about his weekend ahead that when he went missing, she then thought back to this conversation and she went. Oh, something terrible must have happened. He was so excited about this, he wouldn't just simply walk away or disappear himself. That said, maybe he was excited. Oh, man, I'm just, now I'm being conspiracy. I put my tinfoil hat on. To go on this adventure there. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people show a state of euphoria when they finally decided to do something of that nature, right? Not to go any deeper on that, but like, maybe he's decided I I am going to go disappear myself, live a different life, at least for a year. Yeah, I mean, there's not, it's just too... I'll take her word for it. She was talking to him. She saw his demeanor, how excited he was to ski. Yeah, he could fake that, though. I, I kind of just, leave, I, I would just leave that off the table if that were, if that were me. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, you could take it so many different ways. And That's th- it true. doesn't, like, really add or change anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I guess it's, like, it's at least good color for... Again, I like to do this living in the moment of the mystery, right? Oh, like 100%. She finds out about it. She goes, oh my God, something terrible must have happened. And that then informs why these other theories come out, why, oh, yeah. why students are starting to fish for it. I think more so there's nothing to chase there. For no, me. I, I feel that. That's very valid. Now, as far as the theory that Kubaki was running away with a significant other, this is not the German girlfriends, but instead he's kind of eloping perhaps or just oh, running God. away. Um, so there, different girlfriends. Now, a couple had spotted a man that roughly fit the description of Kubaki. He was hanging around the area with a girl just the day before the equipment was found, which would be interesting timing on his part. Because he would either be missing at that point already or elsewhere. Right. (laughs) Because then it would be be like, hey, aren't you you the missing guy? No, 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 no. Not me, not not me, not me. He isn't yet. Uh, hey, aren't you supposed to be missing tomorrow? He goes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Interesting. Okay. So Killerin found an entry in the report about a female student whose name was redacted. This report is filled with redaction. Someone just took a black Sharpie and just started going to town. Going to town. We should release a fully redacted podcast sometime. It's just <laughs> it's just that <laughs> sound for like an hour. She couldn't determine if this was a friend police interviewed, if it was the girl that was spotted by the lake, or somebody else. That's what becomes difficult when you have a lot of redacted information. Now, what's interesting with the idea of him running off with a significant other is the fact that the female student that I kind of just recently referred to, the person who talked to him, he was very excited about his weekend. Mm -hmm. She's the one that assumed things went sour when he didn't come back. Well, she was devastated over his 
disappearance, whatever the nature of it was. She was so distraught, in fact, that she stopped attending class and went to live with her aunt in Grand Rapids. So was there like a relationship there? Or? That's what I'm saying. Like, Is there a relationship here, i.e., would she be the person that he would have run off with? I don't know. Does it basically does it deflate the idea that he ran off with a significant other? Or does the or is theory that the cause of maybe because the his, his brother's going, he's got two girlfriends in in Germany. Maybe he's polyamorous and instead ran off with another girl, and maybe that's why she's devastated. It's just so hairy. The moment you think you have clarity because of yeah. this or that, it opens up another I didn't door. I think there'd be a relationship rabbit hole right. aspect to this mystery, but here we are. Right. Right. Man. Anyway, so again, I don't know if that's a wrinkle in that particular sub-theory or if it actually helps it. Either way, that's uh, food for thought. Others think, at least with regards to the greater theory of him purposely running off, that Kubaki just needed or wanted to get away for a while. For whatever the motive was, he did. This kind of dovetails in with the next theory, the last theory that we're going to talk about, which is that perhaps he decided to become a hitchhiker. When Kubaki's reappearance was made public, Ron Curtis, a student at Berkshire Christian College, told the press that he had picked up a hitchhiker resembling Kubaki on May 5th, 1979. That is actually the day that he came to in the field or in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. But is it because this person knew of the date? Yeah, he, okay, so May 5th, 1979, he wakes up in a field of grass in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Meanwhile, this gentleman here is claiming that he picked up a hitchhiker resembling him on that very day. Okay, I'm going to read ahead and see if there's more information here because there might be. The hitchhiker who went by the name Nathan. Okay, so now whoever this person is that looks like Stephen Kubaki right, is saying, Nathan. I'm Nathan. Okay. Now, before I finish this sentence, I'm going, was there a Nathan at this marathon in Wisconsin? Oh, that's, yeah. Oh, gotta yeah. know. Okay, so the hitchhiker who went by the name Nathan told Curtis that he had flown from San Francisco to Boston and taken a bus to Pittsfield. Oh my goodness. Nathan asked Curtis to drive him to a house in Great Barrington. Again, hold on, I rifling mean, through my notes. It was a little too coincidental. That's where his, that's where his aunt lives. Yeah, his aunt, <gasps> yep. Can you tell I didn't know about this theory? Okay. The house in, in Great Barrington indeed belonged to Kubaki's aunt. Nathan claimed, this is the hitchhiker, claimed that she was just a friend and he was visiting after getting, quote, news of a mutual acquaintance who has been missing for some time. <gasps> Could oh, this hitchhiker be Kubaki disguising himself as someone named Nathan? If so, why? Or is Curtis lying? My goodness. But that's that theory. And one last little kernel that I just... Thought to look oh, at now. pop that kernel into a nice piece of buttery popcorn for me. From the distance from Pittsfield, Massachusetts to Berkshire Christian College, which is in Oxford, Massachusetts, I believe, mm -hmm. is 98 miles or about 158 kilometers. So they're fairly close to each other. Okay. Not an unreasonable hitchhike to make, you know, no, if you're if you're flying all. into Boston and you don't have any other means of transportation. Yeah, it's about a just under a two-hour drive. Man. So this is essentially a sister theory to the previous one because it implies that yes he did intentionally disappear or or no it doesn't it kind it could imply that he intentionally disappeared or it could sister into the amnesia piece right he actually and he came thought to he was somebody else. and it was just like oh no let me get back i really want this ron curtis guy to be telling the truth i know that's that that is the biggest thing because like from my understanding uh-huh everything he said so far is public information mm-hmm 
So who's to say it didn't just piece out together? Right. Like go. like he's like, well, there's a map of San Francisco. Let's just say he flew from there. Yep. That's a major airport. It's going to have a direct. Like you said, I want to be true because that is wild. I know. Well, then also, I mean, digging even deeper, I'm uncovering these stones, getting those little, getting those little grubbies underneath. Like if this story is true and Nathan, i.e. Steven, is in this car talking about news of a mutual acquaintance, he knows about this town where his aunt lives, et cetera, et cetera. Then it implies that he knew about his own disappearance. That is, he's not having amnesia. That, or he's having the most interesting case of amnesia where he's having a third party, like out of body experience. He thinks he's Nathan and he knows of his own self as a different person. That this aunt person is not a relative, but in fact a friend. Yeah. And their mutual acquaintance is yeah. himself, but he thinks it's a third person. Whoa. That that is so many layers deep. And like wow. interesting if it if it was that. But there's I mean, like, that's just that I mean like it's a beautiful theory. But it's got yeah. it's, it's such a stretch. It's well, it's stretchy, but I mean this man went through some stretchy stuff. But also didn't he say that he remembers being cold and then mm -hmm. the next thing he remembers is being in the field? Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's where he again, yeah. air quotes, woke up, came to the, the I and mean, grass that contradicts field. the story. Well, does it? Because, I mean, he was... Let's see, let's see, let's see. Ron Curtis said he flew from San Francisco to Boston. Then he took a bus to Pittsfield. <gasps> oh! Oh! Maybe he got the hitchhike... Okay, hold on. Christian, did he hitchhike from Pittsfield, i.e. after he came to? And then instead of name-dropping himself, i.e. a person that's been gone for 14 and a half months, he just said, I'm Nathan, I'm going to a friend's place. We don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, we don't know. So he woke <laughs> up, is very confused about when and where he is and why. Needs to, he knows his aunt is nearby because he figures out he's in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He goes, My aunt's nearby. Let's just go there. And then wants to give no information because he's like, I don't know what people know about me. I don't know if I'm supposed to be dead. <gasps> this, oh man, the more theories we get, the more questions and more doors yeah. we just walk through. Yeah. Oh, but that's all we have. That is all, that's we, all have. we have. But I mean, like, he could have been completely aware the whole time. And then it's like, you know, I'm done traveling, yeah. being missing, going back now. Then but to put just, your family through that, I, I don't know if, I don't know this person from, from Adam. So it's hard to say, like. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely difficult to say. But uh, I mean, there's the, there's the theory of like. Severe amnesia, went missing, then wound up in the field. Mm -hmm. This other personality and the way that crosses, it crossed multiple ways. Mm -hmm. Or the theory of he was self-aware, this was intentional, and then that was just the drive of like, it's my last hitchhike, mm -hmm. you know? I'm chatting it up, you know? I'm going back to my life, etc. Mm -hmm. And this is where I lay in the grass and say that this is how I woke up and this is where I found myself. Hmm. Although it begs the question, if it was a purposeful, yeah, like I'm done with my year away or whatever, mm -hmm. why choose Pittsfield, Massachusetts of all places to be the location where you wake up, quote unquote? Is, I mean, close yeah. enough? Is that, yeah, is it a town he knew already or did he like look on a map and go, yeah, that's close enough? Yeah, it's just like the, the specificity of such a random town is what's... Yeah, well, I mean, me the aunt that. being close enough, I think that's the thing, right? Well, yeah. it's not necessarily going to be in a rush right. to get back into your life. You're going to ease back into it sure. and you ease back into it by like, like, 
If I was in this situation, I wouldn't go straight home. I'd maybe show up at a friend's house or like an aunt's house, like like he did. Fair. You know, you yeah. don't totally yeah. fair. instead of diving straight into the deep end. Man, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going off the wire now. Before I get before I go off the rails, Christian, could you look up the three locations of Massachusetts that we're talking about? I'm very curious. It's if Pittsfield just happens to be on the way. It's a very small, shallow state north-south-wise. But if Pittsfield is on the way from Boston to Great Barrington, again, it's hard not to be. But if it's way out of the way, I'm I'm curious. And while you looked that up, part of me was like, was this identity known as Nathan? Whether it was before or after the amnesia, whether it was before or after Pittsfield, I'll kind of put that down for now. What if he was his own anonymous caller and he has glimpses of his past memories as as Stephen, yeah. and he's calling his own family or his family friend yeah and is giving glimpses of memory that he knows and he he's like well that's not me that's not my memory it's just so right so i know of this missing person so let me at least call this family and give an anonymous tip because he's like i know this number why do i know this number oh because it was mine oh man i don't know this is just scrambling my little brains up but this was a fascinating case it's a fascinating case i mean if if that is how it played out what a unique situation of amnesia oh yeah in so many ways not just in like memory but then also like identity as well mm -hmm. the brain is a wild and interesting mistress mm -hmm. i'm so fascinated by it and i mean as he's pulling up those three cities like you need to look no further than people have had their brains split Get what the uh, membrane connecting the two hemispheres is called but for various different reasons people have had their brains split and they're unable to talk to one another the left and the right and so when you show a card on the right half of your body right you can read it basically like your 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 mouth and your eyes will act independently like you're like a, a, a scientist might come up with their rippling muscles and say what are you looking at in your right eye what do you see and their mouth will say what their left eye is seeing but they, they will write with their hand what their right eye is seeing or something like that. Ooh. Basically, like you can have two distinctly different, different like beings, yeah. selves in there. And I think that is kind of just like at the end of the day, what our when we have like internal dialogues going on, it's just our varying overlapping personalities communicating with one another. The two halves of your brain just kind of weighing options and thinking about things. It's, it's I don't know. Pine, like the people studying the human mind uh, yeah. the human brain and pioneering like the studies behind that it's just I feel like it's just endless the buffest people i've ever seen yeah just absolutely jacked out of the <laughs> how are we looking on those maps great barrington and pittsfield are very close to each other it's i think we actually covered it but just for for clarity's sake i think it's 21 miles yeah it's about 21 miles uh great barrington is about 21 miles south of pittsfield Boston is about 137 miles or 221 kilometers east of mm -hmm. both of those cities. And then Oxford, where Ron Curtis said that he picked up the hitchhiker, Oxford is in between Boston and then Pittsfield and Great Barrington. Got it. Interesting. Just trying to get a lay of the land, you know, to try to make sense of it. Like, why would he go to Pittsfield if his destination was where his aunt was? Is it because it is more of a stop? Less of a small town. I don't know. I don't know. Well, this has been a very fascinating, albeit frustrating case, because as with all the things we talk about, they're unsolved. There's going to be some missing holes, but man, 
are these some big and in-your-face missing holes? Any closing thoughts on Stephen Kubaki? I just, you know, just when I think I've gotten the full gauntlet of mysteries, mm -hmm. this pops up. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many to explore still. Because I go, okay, maybe it's another paranormal one, which are all, they're all, like, very entertaining. But then you just go, this person went missing. And then I go, oh, no, is everything okay? What happened to them? And, like, and then they wound up a year later with no memory. And I go, okh what, what are we, yeah. what? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, that reminds me, we forgot the alien theory. Alien theory. Uh, he was doing his thing. He set his skis down, went to take a leak at the lake. Got abducted. Got zipped up. Got squeaked up. True. And then experimented on. That's why he doesn't want to talk about it. Right. Doesn't want to talk about it. Or they wiped his little brain. Oh. They said, we're going to take these 14 and a half months and keep them secret. They're ours. That's. What oh. we did on Mustafar 5. <laughs> That's just you and me, Stephen. <laughs> and he goes, with one single tear, he goes, I know. Gluck, gluck. <laughs> I know. And he held his slimy, squishy, seven-fingered hand for one last time as they departed, and he, men in black, wiped his mind. <laughs> Sent him back to Pittsfield, because he kind of forgot where he picked him up. <laughs> he said, all your Earth cities sound the same to me. It's like alien smut. <laughs> <laughs> it's my alien fanfic. Yeah. Oh. And with that said, Fredo, I'll see you right back here next Monday for another mystery.